Uh, it's always good to start the day on good news. Um, and we received good news from FIFA this morning that Christopher, your one-time transfer has been officially approved. And uh, you know we appreciate the commitment to us. In return, we'll give you our full commitment and uh, we welcome you into the brotherhood. and take all the knowledge I can from you to be the best, so thank you. Here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar. This is episode 282 of this fine program. Fitting, Herc, that we should start it as a couple of dual nats here on the show with the introduction of the latest dual national to the U.S. pool. That was Christopher Lund. I'm sure with a similar reception that you got when you first got to U.S. camp, no? What was my first U.S. camp? <laughs> That was Copa America, Venezuela. Casey Keller was on the team. Did he cheer when you when you were introduced? Casey actually did. He did. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Case was a good one back then. Yeah. All right. I mean, somebody yeah. didn't. If Casey did, you remember who did cheer and who didn't. Mm. It was a weird group. It was yeah, a I very bet. strange you were in group. It. I, I will give you some of the names later on, but that was the most random group I've ever been part of. But it was fun. All right, coming up on this edition of Football Americas, which is presented by Expedia, we've got an ESPN exclusive interview with Chucky Lozano, of course, of PSV and the Mexican national team. Thanks to our friends at ESPN Netherlands for their help with that. We've got the list of Ballon d'Or finalists. Herc, it's a long list. They call it a short list, but it's a very long list. Inter-Miami's Lionel Messi on the men's side, but only one American player on the women's side, so we'll discuss that. We've also got some last-minute transfers to judge, but let's start with the U.S. senior men's national team. They're gonna be playing in St. Louis on Saturday at City Park there, the home of first place, St. Louis SC. U.S. taking on Uzbekistan, 74th ranked in the latest FIFA rankings. The Americans coming off a summer where they won the Nations League with their A's and lost in the semifinals of the Gold Cup with their B's. But really, these are the first games back under Greg Berhalter. Weston McKinney has more. I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit in camp as well. Um, I think what, what's most important, obviously, uh, is realizing, and, and I know best myself, that there's no one person that's bigger than the program. Uh, there's no one person bigger than the team. And, uh, and, and he touched upon that whenever he came back in. He said, look, like, it was amazing to be able to see that, you know, even though I was gone and, and whoever stepped in to, to realize that the brotherhood was strong, to realize that, that you guys had the same values, had the same uh, approach to, to the game um, with just the intensity, the, the way that we fight, the way that we, we want to win games. Like that, That's something that, that's a culture that we built here. Um, and so whoever's here or not, that's something that, that is always in place. So we kind of didn't have to really change that much. Um, we all kind of had the same ideas. Uh, so, I mean, having them back in, is, it's good. I, I think, we, honestly, it's just picking up where, where, we, we, where we left off. 
right now I think it's just a big collective work, a big collective group in, in terms of growing the game here in America. Um, you know, we set out on a mission four years ago to change the way the world views American soccer, and now our motto is to, to change soccer in America forever. And uh, <laughs> was that funny? I thought you laughed. No, no, I, thought no. you, I thought you laughed at me, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, change the way that, that uh, change soccer in America forever. Change soccer in America forever, says Weston McKinney. Let's uh, maybe leave that for a little bit later on. First things first, we got a game Saturday. It's the first game of the Burhalter 2.0 era, Herc. What changes do you want to see from the first time around under Greg Burhalter? Let me just say really quickly, I'll, uh, Timothy Way is a cool cat. Like that, that guy does, is not phased by anything. Mm -hmm. right, uh, well, he was phased right there. He was trying to keep his cool. No, nah, I think he was, he was. He's cool. He's always cool. Um, what changes would I want to make in this cycle? <laughs> Listen, last cycle, it was not a normal cycle that I we've been used to. That I've been used to seeing. Uh, there was three windows last cycle. Every international FIFA fixture uh, date, there was three games. So you would see a lot of rotation. You would see a lot of turnover. I want to see less rotation, less turnover. I want to see a concentration on a core. You've got an opportunity now with no World Cup qualifiers to really set in to an 11, to a style. You don't have to worry about going to San Pedro Sula where the field goes up to your knees, Cuscatlan where the conditions aren't ideal. You're going to have games to your catering, if you will, so now you can really hone in a style, uh, on an 11, on a core, with not so much turnover. I want to see more consistency at a Greg Berhalter's group because as we saw last World Cup qualifiers, and maybe some of that was circumstantial, a lot of that may have been circumstantial, you'd play one good home game, and then on the road away, I mean, you were a shadow of yourself. It was a different team, a different setup, a different lineup, a different mentality, and a different result. So I was thinking back. And I was thinking, what were the kind of the main complaints of U.S. fans in the Greg Berhalter first go-around, right? I think a lot of it came down to team selection. Now, he's already addressed that to some extent, right? With this latest roster, we didn't see any of the MLS lifers, the Berhalter guys that people really complained about. Now, could he take it a step further? Could he invite somebody like, I don't know, John Brooks back into the fold? That would be like the next step for me in terms of his reconciliation with the player pool. Then I think, what are the other complaints? During qualifying, Herc, time in, time out. Every lineup was criticized. Every single starting 11 he seemed to get wrong. Now, at the World Cup, he seemed to get that balance a little bit better. And I think, to your point, what you're saying about a lot of rotation, is he never really, maybe until the World Cup, seemed to know what his best 11 was, okay? So that's something I want to see established here and early on in this cycle. The other part of that is the subs. Now, in qualifying, he seemed to nail the subs, right? right? It was the subs that were often bailing him out in the second half. In the World Cup, we saw he didn't really know how to use his subs in those big games or maybe was just too hesitant to go to that bench. That's in-game management. I want to see that improve. But most of all, the thing that I think hurt Greg Berhalter the most his first go-around was the rhetoric. How many times did Greg Berhalter get himself in trouble, Herc, with what he says? Of course, probably the best example on the field was the game against Canada where they lose in qualifying, and he used the word dominate. And everybody, from Stephen A. Smith on down, jumped on him for that. Uh, that wasn't the only obvious example. Of course, the, the whole scandal with Gio Reyna explodes because with a hot mic to a huge room full of people listening, he had to tell a story about Gio Reyna almost getting sent home from the World Cup. 
that would seem to be something that would then spread to the team. Remember the first qualifying cycle last year. Tyler Adams came out and said, nine we're expecting window. nine points. They barely got four, barely got four. And it seemed then that some lessons had been learned. But then, Herc, when I see these comments from Weston McKinney about changing soccer in America forever, it makes me wonder if, if the rhetoric from the coach isn't getting to these players. And that is something that from the first go-around, I, I felt Greg Berhalter needs to improve upon. What comes out of his mouth when there's a hot mic on? Yes, no complaints. You're absolutely right. It wasn't just the symposium. It was the moments mm -hmm. where he said uh, that they dominated even though they lost. It's things like him saying what he expects out of his back line, the ability to play a high line for John, or John Brooks not being included in the roster and then goes with a Timothy Ream who's even slower than a John Rook. So it's all these inconsistencies there that I agree with you. Now, are we going to touch upon Weston McKinney's, uh, the comments? Yes. Okay. Can I what touch, do you think? Can I touch upon these really quick? Uh, he, yeah. You got a problem with it or you like it? Well, I'm seeing a lot of these things, and coaches do it. John Herdman had the sword with Canada. We've seen other things with other coaches. Mm -hmm. Now I'm hearing the word brotherhood, brotherhood excuse me, thrown around a lot with the U.S. Mm -hmm. men's national team, which is great. You always want to, you know, be a family in these teams. Oftentimes, that's not the case, but best case scenario, you're a family, you fight for each other. It's mm -hmm. all great. These are trigger words. These are, you know... Um, what, what are these things? The cliches, sporting cliches that go around, that's fine. Now, last go around, I'm trying to think. They wanted to change the way that the world viewed American mm -hmm. soccer. Mm -hmm. And they think they accomplished that. Mm. Uh, listen, the player pool is different. Okay, The way that others view Americans in the player pool has now changed. They're playing in some of the better leagues in the world, sometimes some of the better teams in the world. That's changed a bit. But when we talk about the team, mm -hmm. when we talk about the team, nothing has changed. Okay? They're still saying the same things about this team that they said about teams in previous World Cups. You know, they're, they're athletic. They're fit. Spirited. They're hard to play against. Very difficult to play against. Good in transition. The same things they said about previous national nah, teams. I'll disagree with you there. No. I'll disagree well, with you there. Well, let me finish and then you can disagree missed, with me. They missed the last World Cup. Do you know what people were saying about American soccer in 2017, 2018, even 2019 when they're getting worked by Mexico ahead of the pandemic? The program was at an all-time low. Of course they've changed the perception of American soccer. Are you done? Both in this country and outside done? the country. Are you done? Are you done? Let me finish, okay? Because even right here it says, okay, even right here it says, not real, nothing's really changed in terms of where it was from from 2018, okay? U.S. soccer didn't start in 2018, Seb. They're saying the same things about this team mm -hmm. years ago. 2002, okay. same thing. Okay, 2010, same thing. 2014, same thing. Nothing has changed. Are you hearing... Wow, look at the way this team builds out of the back. Look at the technical ability on this team. Look at tactically how good this team. Are you hearing those things about this team? No, and that's fine. But don't go around saying that completely you've changed everything. Now, 1994 changed the landscape in American uh -huh. football, American soccer. Okay, Nobody's going to argue that. Mm -hmm. Weston McKinney saying they want to change American soccer forever. Okay? Mm -hmm. 2026, a great opportunity. Greg Berhalter said his expectations is a semifinal to get further than any other American team has. Let's, let's throw 1930 out because there's hardly anybody there. But if, if they're going to get past the last team to go furthest, we're talking about 2002, we're talking quarterfinals. That means a semifinals. Again, 
You talk about rhetoric, you talk about expectations, you don't want the media to come after you when you set the bar that high. You're kind of asking for it, aren't you, Herc? American. It's un-American to say that you want anything besides to win it. Mm. That's a reality. Now, All right. listen, we've seen and criticized other networks when they say the U.S. Men's National is going to beat Argentina in the Copa America semifinal. <laughs> and when everybody picks down We're the road, that network. everybody picks the U.S. Men's National team. That's not their job as to cheerlead. That's not their job. But as a player, as a coach, when Tyler Adams, when Christian Pulisic, when these players or representatives of U.S. soccer say, want to win it, mm-hmm. I don't expect anything else. Like, why are you going if you're okay. not trying to win it? If you're not, there's a problem. Now, saying semifinals, I think, is a yes. healthy bar. But you got to do it. Okay. You got to do All it. Right. If you say you got to do it. Semifinals in 2026. You heard it here first from Hercules. You Thomas. heard it last year when we asked. That was the bar. You heard it last year. Let's focus in on the players, shall we? The uh, 24-man roster called in by Greg Berhalter for these games against Uzbekistan and Oman. We got two categories, Herc, that we're going to break them into here. Who's got the most to gain and who's got the most to lose? Let's begin with most to gain. Tanner Tesman, Cade Cal, Kevin Paredes, and the goalie, Drake Callender, among your choices. Who you going with? Tanner Tesman, come on down. 6'3", 21-year-old, playing as a defensive midfielder now since last season, midway last season, started playing defensive midfielder. He was brilliant for them uh, in Serie B last season. He's been brilliant this season. Even got himself a, a long-range goal that I think the goalie might have participated a little more than uh, to his liking than he would have liked there. Uh, but Tanner Tesman's been brilliant. He's a, a dual-player, two-way defensive uh, midfielder who right now is coming in because Johnny Cardoso is out. He's injured. So this is a guy who wasn't in the picture, get an opportunity because the door is being left open by an injury in a position that I think is of need, in a position that I think nobody, no one person has said, I can be that insurance policy to an often injured Tyler Adams. So much so that you've seen two people have to fill that job, a Weston McKinney and a Eunice Musa, if you will, Luca De La Torre uh, and somebody else, Eunice Musa, in the Nations League. Not one person has said, I can fill this job adequately. I can be that insurance policy. So most to gain, a player who was nowhere near the picture, by the way, only one cap, one appearance for Tanner Tessman in a U.S. Men's National Team jersey. Yeah, he's got the most to gain. Absolutely, that door is open for him now. All right, so do you see him at all as an eight? Because you're talking about him as the, as the backup six, obviously a super important role. But I'm thinking he's, he's got to have more than, than one role that he can play if he's going to make a serious push for the team. Here's a guy who's 21 years old. He's played almost entirely in Europe in the second flight. I think he had nine or ten games with Venezia when they were still a Serie A team. But uh, at that age, playing in the second tier, how close is he really to a top 23 spot? And then that would be a spot in the 2026 World Cup. Well, he plays multiple positions. He started off as an eight, and then midway last season started playing as a defensive midfield. All these, I mean, he's been mm-hmm. playing since midway last season, 90 minutes straight, 90 minutes. Uh, this season, he's played 90 minutes every single game. He's an important piece for Venezia as a defensive midfielder. If you're playing Italy in that position, you have to have something in your arsenal. He's a player that's important and has an opportunity. Can he get into this? I've seen... Players come out of nowhere in this program. So if the door is open, it's not like Johnny Cardoso has shut it, shut it for anybody. It's not like Kellen Acosta, when he was there, shut it for anybody. I, I think still a wide-open position. And, and Listen, somebody's got to lift that hand and say, I want to be that insurance policy for Tyler Adams because Tyler Adams 
he's a very important piece to this U.S. men's national team, but he's not proven to be a durable piece. All right, Herc says Tanner Tessman with the most to gain this international window. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going Kevin Paredes, the left back slash left wing back for Wolfsburg. Now, one, I just think this player's playing great right now. He's playing for Wolfsburg. Every time he comes on, he's super dynamic. He is a go-to off the bench for them. And if you watch Wolfsburg play, they're off to a pretty good start, but I think they could use some more Paredes. So I wouldn't be shocked if before long, he's not playing more minutes and maybe even starting for this team. Now, you talked about needing a backup at a very important position. CDM, the six. Well, we've also been talking about not having a lockdown backup at the left back spot. In fact, Greg Berhalter specifically mentioned it when he was talking about Christopher Lund, right? He said, we don't have a Jedi Robinson backup. Now, here's the thing about Paredes. He can be a left back. He can be that backup, but he's also a left wing back slash left winger. I'm not saying he's as good as Alfonso Davies, but there's a comparison there, a player who can be breakdown dangerous one-on-one as a wing player, but probably in Europe isn't good enough to be at that position. I think he's a great left wing back option, and he's very different than Robinson, right? He's a very different profile. So he can play two roles within the team. He plays left back very differently than your number one unquestioned left back right now in Jedi Robinson. And I think this is a player with a huge upside who, if he has a good couple performances here against Uzbekistan and Oman, two teams I think based on the level that he's playing at in the Bundesliga, he should have a lot of success against. I think he could make a big jump. Obviously, the Olympics are coming up. He's going to be a factor there. But I think even Herc for the 2026 roster. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the Olympics in a second. We'll see if he gets released for that. But I don't mind the shout. Listen, uh, Greg Berhalter has mentioned a few times about playing a three-back system. You play a three-back system, you need wingbacks. This is his natural position, his preferred position. Uh, so he's in a short list of players who can play that position with a Caleb Wiley for the future, if you'd like. So I don't mind the shout at all. And he's playing abroad, and he's playing consistently. So it's a good shout. First uh, call up for Paredes. He was part of the U20 World Cup roster earlier this year. All right, what about the other side of the coin, Herc? Players with the most to lose this window. We picked some, if not veterans, guys who have been around the team at least a little while. Tim Ream, Luca De La Torre, Ricardo Pepe, and Mark McKenzie. Kirk, who are you going with? I'm going with Tim Ream. Uh, hear me out. Tim Ream, uh, surprise player probably in Qatar at the World Cup, uh, will be 36 in October. That means he's going to be 38, turning 39, come the 2026 World Cup. No spring chicken. Uh, all he's doing right now at this moment, and, and maybe it's being a little unfair to him of how good he's been with the U.S. Men's National Team uh, in that World Cup, and we'll see him for the first time back now. Uh, all he's doing right now is placeholding for somebody who could maybe get a dry run in the Copa America. Maybe he can get some valuable playing time that could be instrumental in their development for the 2026 World Cup. All he can do is let you down. The, the odds of him staying at a high level at 38, 39 years of age with a team that wants to play in a high line and press you Seems very, very limited for my liking. He's just going to show you how old he is in one game or another down the road and how maybe he's placeholding for somebody else. So Mm -hmm. he's got a lot to lose here because I don't see it getting better despite how good he's really been. So maybe unfair, but because of his age and what he will be in during that World Cup, I just think he's got everything to lose here. 
My man's still starting in the Premier League. How long have you been trying to retire Tim Ream, Her? He's starting in the Premier League? Yeah, he is. Yeah, how long have you been trying to retire him? I've not been trying to retire him. Mm-hmm. Do you think he Years was good? on this show. Hold on. Years. Hold on. Do you think he was good the season before the World Cup? Do I think he was good the season before the World Cup? Yeah, that's why he got called in. No, the season before the World Cup. Do you think he was good? He was not. That's why he left. That's why there was a period of time where Tim Ream disappeared from the national team. Now, international football is about moments. It's mm -hmm. about calling the best possible players in the best possible moment. Do you think Tim Ream will still be in the best possible moment at 38, 39 years of age? Uh, I think it's a totally fair question. I, I do think there's this rush to replace Tim Ream, right? Everybody's falling in love with Chris Richards. Chris Richards hasn't played 50 games. Cameron I don't Potter think a pro ball. I mean, okay, but throw, throw whoever you want in there, right? I mean, Tim Ream is a starter in the Premier League. There has to be something said for that. Uh, he is an aging today, player. I was between... The World Cup's not today. I know, but Copa America's not that far off. By the way, love a good left-footed center back. Love a good left-footed center back. All right, so I was between Luca De La Torre and Ricardo Pepe. Those, those are two very close ones to me. I'm going to go with Ricardo Pepe because on this show, and just generally, we tend to focus more on the number nine position. So if we think about American strikers right now, I think the depth chart is pretty clear, right? Balogun is number one. And there's not really too much of a question about it. And then there's a big drop to quite a few candidates who are number two. Now, right now, today, I think Ricardo Pepe is number two in the depth chart, okay? But that could change very quickly. Now, when we first saw the Pepe move to PSV, I got laughed at on this show for bringing up the name Luke de Jong. PSV has played eight games since Ricardo Pepe joined the team. How many has Ricardo Pepe started, Herc? He started zero. Luke de Jong is 33 years old. Five of those games were played in 15 days' time, and Ricardo Pepe still didn't start a game. So I'm worried a little bit about just how many minutes he's going to get with PSV. He needs to take advantage now because, Herc, here's the reality. There are lots of guys waiting in the wings when it comes to the number nine position. We've got Haji Wright, okay? We've got Josh Sargent. We've got plenty of others. And here's the thing. Most of those guys... We've got Jesus Ferreira. Most of those guys have at one point or another been called into the national team over Ricardo Pepe by the same guy who was in charge today, Greg Berhalter. So I think Ricardo Pepe desperately needs this window. I think you could say the same about Luca De La Torre. Those are two guys right now who need this moment with the national team. Except Luca De La Torre went to the World Cup. Yeah, but he didn't, but he didn't start. And you were 99.99% sure to say. he was I am start. defending you. Listen. Luke, Luke, Luca De La Torre went to the World Cup. He was there. He was chosen by Greg Berhalter. Mm -hmm. Ricardo Pepe, despite saving his job, was not chosen. So what's to say that he's going to choose him again? Yeah. He needs to stay hot, whether it's club or country. And you already mentioned Josh Sargent, out injured with an ankle injury. Uh, Faller and Balogun, big move to Monaco. Let's see how that plays out. But right now, the one guy who's in a place in a league that he scored before and in a place that you think he should play, mm -hmm. is Ricardo. So he needs to keep playing. He needs to keep the scoring. The one thing I'll say about, about Luca De La Torre is it's a guy who you had high hopes for. I think a lot of people had high hopes for him at the last World Cup. If with all the injuries in midfield, he can't shine within you know, practice settings with this group. And then on top of that, against Uzbekistan and Oman, this level of international play, he doesn't shine. Then I think we got some real questions. 
because you see where he plays and he should be performing better at the senior international level than what he's given so far. Fair enough? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I just, given the limited amount of players there and Ricardo Pepe actually has a lot of competition, I'd still lean towards Ricardo Pepe of those two. All right, up next, the U.S. Olympic team. Herc, of course, the next Olympics will be taking place in Paris, France, and Marco Mitrovic will be coaching the U.S. under-23s in uh, just about a year's time. Mitrovic spent the last year and a half in charge of the U.S. under-19 men's team. He was also an assistant with the senior team this summer under B.J. Callahan, the U.S. men back in the Olympics for the first time since 2008. Herc, are you cool with the hire? And why shouldn't Greg Berhalter be coaching this team? I don't know too many full national team coaches that coach mm. an under-23 program. And listen, I, there's one very famous tale of Hugo Sanchez actually coaching a U23 team in a pre-tournament you know, tournament qualifier uh, in Los Angeles, California. And he actually was fired for that. So it's probably not a good idea uh, to take on that responsibility. Sure. So If they don't let him coach the Gold Cup, they're definitely not going to let him yeah. you know, stick his net, neck out here for some Olympic it, qualifying. Yeah, gosh, ex exactly. The media might be too harsh on him. Oh, you know, wouldn't God, want that. Got to protect Got to protect the national team manager. I, I'm cool with Marco uh, Mitrovic uh, coaching. That's fine. He was a U19 coach. Had like a perfect 6-0 and record with them. So, so a lot of those kids will be here. He was part of uh, you know, BJ Callahan's uh, coaching staff. So he knows a lot of the players who are of age who may be in or around. Now, I did some research, right? Let's see. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the... Right, you're not allowed to do that on this show. No, never. He was the Serbian U20 assistant of the team that won the U20 World Cup. Okay, with Velko Paunovic oh, was the uh, coach there, right? Don't ruin this show. You want to stop it? You want to stop it? Come on. I got a whole bit here and you come in jumping in. Relax for a second. Settle down. I'm listening. All right. Serbian U20 uh, 20 coach with... Serbia there, uh, Chicago Fire assistant coach, Reading assistant coach. I'm connecting the dots, I was going to say, until uh -huh, you uh -huh, ruined it. Uh -huh, uh -huh, yes, he's with sorry. Valko Panovic. Velko Panovic obviously likes playing with the youth, likes integrating youth. In his time at Chicago Fire, Georgi Mihailovic is one of the young kids that he brought about when he was like 18 years old. So they've got experience. He's got experience with youth, with American youth most likely. Uh, that That should be of interest for you. It seems like a natural progression. I've got no issue with this. A lot of times these coaches aren't the big names one would like. That's just not how it works around the world, unless you're France. But yeah. in this case, in American circles, they're not, and I'm okay with it. You need people who know the program. This guy knows, one, the kids that are most of his pool. He also, because he has, you said, worked with the senior team. He should know the guys that he could pick for the overage players as well. Yeah. They'll know him, so there'll be hopefully some built-in respect there. He's not someone kind of running off trying to do his own thing. This makes... Uh, a lot of sense. If you're not going to have it be Greg Berhalter, you're not going to have it be the guy in charge of the senior men's national team. Although I think you could, right? Usually the Olympics, they're at a different time of the summer than your kind of main tournament. So you, you could do it. But if you're not, uh, I think this is a, a pretty good fit. How about big picture, Herc, on the Olympics? How important is this tournament to the American soccer program? All right, those are two different. Uh, so there's two different questions here, right? Okay. How important is this tournament on a global scale? Not that important. It's not even a FIFA-sanctioned tournament. Um, why isn't it FIFA-sanctioned? Because you know FIFA doesn't want it competing with the World Cup, so it's a glorified youth tournament. That's what it is. It's a youth tournament. And a youth tournament, because it's not FIFA-sanctioned, don't have fixture dates yet, the best players don't play in. But it should be important to the U.S. program. I mentioned it's not important on a global scale, but it should be important 
to the U.S. Because regardless of who you play, sure, there's some names like Eunice Musa, Gio Reyna, Gaga Salonina, Ricardo Pepe, Malik Tillman, Joe Scali, Taylor Booth, maybe even a Paxton Aronson, who most likely won't be let go. Most likely won't mm. play. And I'm sure your overage players aren't going to be the Christian Pulisics of the world. Are you sure about that? I heard Christian Pulisic wants to play in the Olympics. You could want to play. You think Milan's going to let him play in the Olympics? It's August. It's early August. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So most likely, it's going to be, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think back of last time they played in the Olympics, it, Michael Parker was one of the overage players, you know? Uh, it, it could be of the most. your era. Yeah, and then he's a very good center back, but he wasn't a European top five center back, you know, so we could go down that route. Now, for the American program, it's important because there are some players who are going to be very good players who can use this on a global scale, maybe parlayed into something else. And any tournament you play in, if you want to be a serious footballing nation, you want to win. Now, your neighbor down south has taken the Olympics very seriously, mm -hmm. and they won. They've medaled twice in the last three games. This should give you a sense that you can as well, and you should try to win. You mentioned that neighbor down south. That Olympic success didn't necessarily lead to national team success. In fact, it very immediately led to almost national team disaster, right? 2002, uh, 2012, Mexico wins gold in London, the worst qualifying campaign in Mexico's history, well, modern history, happens leading into the 2014 World Cup. Then, under Jimmy Lozano, they win bronze at the Tokyo Games, 2021. And what happens in the qualifying campaign after that? Well, they qualify for the World Cup where they have the worst World Cup since the 1970s. So Olympic success does not mean your senior national team is going to do well. Mexico is the perfect example of that. However, Herc, and I know you know this, media matters here. And the Olympics are huge in the United States. So when Weston McKinney talks about, right, changing soccer in America forever, we're not talking about people like you and me nitpicking, oh, it's a U23 tournament. We're talking about folks all across the country that don't pay attention to soccer getting behind a team in red, white, and blue. And yes, that'll happen in the World Cup and in huge numbers, but it also will potentially happen in the Olympics as well. And I think this generation of American players, because we saw that U-20 team, Herc, as dominant as you've ever seen any American team at any level in this region, I think this team could make a deep run in these Olympics. And even though the rest of the world poo-poos it, it would be a really big deal here ahead of the World Cup in 2026. I think it should be a priority for you. Well, the soccer. only way Americans will pay attention is if they make a deep run. That's mm -hmm. the only way. Because the Olympics, when it comes to Americans, it's track, it's swimming, it's all those other things. They have to make a deep run. All right. Well, uh, I don't know when they'll be talking about Olympic soccer next on ESPN FC, but somewhere down the road they will be covering it. How do I know? Because ESPN FC is on every single day of the week, every single week of the year. Available on ESPN+. Plus. I'll be hosting tomorrow's edition of ESPN FC, so don't miss it. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay. 
tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Jensen Cousin can't do anything about. The Mexican is off the mark. Lozano adds to the damage. It's an overwhelming victory. Sí llegaron ofertas y todo, pero pues la verdad que que nos enfocamos en, en, en PCB y creo que, que, que para mí fue una opción muy, muy buena y, y totalmente acertada por el proyecto y por todo lo, lo, lo demás. Son percepciones de, de cada uno, de, son sus opiniones, son sus, sus palabras que tienen todo el derecho de, de, de decirlo. Pero bueno, este, para mí creo que fue muy buena opción. Eh, creo que lo principal es estar de la mejor manera, eh, totalmente físicamente, futbolísticamente y mentalmente. Y creo que para mí fue una buena opción. Fue un camino muy complicado, eh, con muchas cosas buenas, muchas cosas no tan buenas. Y bueno, este, yo llego por, por Ancelotti a, a Napoli y bueno, este, solamente lo tuve dos años en, en, en Apple, dos años, dos meses en Apple, perdón. Y bueno, lo, lo, lo separan del equipo, llega Gatuso, fue un momento complicado porque, pues la verdad, este, como yo llegué como la contratación más cara y, y todo, este, fue, fueron muchas, muchas cosas que, que para mí no... no no fueron tan agradables con, con la llegada de Gatuso la verdad que estuve mucho tiempo sin jugar, eh, fue un momento muy muy complicado, es, ese, es eso de lo que quedaba de, del año. Y bueno, después en el segundo año con, con Gatuso la verdad que, que me fue muy bien, la verdad que fue un, un, un campeonato muy muy bueno, metí muchos goles, muchas asistencias, la verdad que, que me agradó mucho ese año. Y bueno, llega Spalletti, también fueron circunstancias de, de lesiones en, en la selección que no, no me ayudaron mucho. Eh, eh, también que, que los entrenadores eh, estaban dudosos en mí y pues como, como somos los mexicanos, ¿no? siempre 
sacamos la casta, tratamos de, 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 de dar ese paso adelante y bueno, gracias a Dios, este, trabajando y, y luchando por, por un puesto, este, traté, estuve jugando, la verdad que, que, que gracias a Dios me dieron la oportunidad de jugar, pero como dices, ¿no? siempre picando piedra, siempre este, trabajando el doble para que te voltearan a ver y bueno, eh, gracias a Dios al final fue, fue algo muy bonito, ¿no? ganar el, el Scudetto que, que ningún mexicano lo había logrado, también la Copa Italiana, también fui el primer mexicano en meter un gol en, en, en la Serie A, soy el primer mexicano en meter más goles de Serie A y la verdad que, que eso queda, queda muy grabado en, en mí y la verdad que me siento muy orgulloso de eso. Y bueno, eh, la verdad que, que hice historia en la Serie A eh, y, y bueno, la verdad que, que muy contento y al final se ven los resultados que, de lo, del esfuerzo y de, de todo lo, lo que pasé en, en, en Napoli, gracias a Dios, eh, se cerró en, en, muy buena, en muy buena forma. Eh, hay gente que, que, que habla eh, por hablar y, y vender eh, sobre todo en la televisión pero gracias a Dios eh, toda la gente que, que se cruza en mi camino, toda la gente que me ve, toda la gente que, que me saluda, siempre son comentarios positivos, siempre son comentarios muy bonitos nadie te regala nada y creo que para mí fue muy significativo Italia porque ahí se vio como tú dices ¿no? eh, el verdadero mexicano, el verdadero futbolista mexicano que siempre lucha y, y trata de, de, de dar ese paso, de tratar de, de ser mejor cada día y bueno, eh, creo que si la gente o alguna gente lo, lo menosprecia esto que he hecho, pues creo que está equivocado, ¿no? porque eh, soy el primer mexicano que logra hacer historia en, en Italia y es algo súper, súper importante porque eh, la verdad que, que yo platicando con, con mi esposa eh, he abierto puertas en, en, en la Serie A porque se fijan más en los mexicanos, porque eh, le estoy dejando un legado a, 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 los, a los futbolistas mexicanos para que puedan emigrar a, a una liga tan importante que es como la Serie A y bueno, me tocó a mí los palos y todo, ¿no? Entonces, Ojalá que, que eso sirva para que los, los jóvenes mexicanos puedan emigrar a esa liga que, que para mí es muy, muy buena. Great interview there with Irving Chucky Lozano back with PSV. Thanks again to our uh, colleague there, Paco Gabriel de Anda, VSPN down in Mexico. He's the one that conducted that wonderful interview. As we take a look back at Chucky's stats with PSV, he was there for a couple years, won the league title in the 2017 2018 season. Herkchuki bearing his soul there with Paco Gabriel de Anda. What do you think? Yeah. Listen, he so it sounds like he's upset. It sounds like he's upset mm -hmm. that people don't respect what he's done. And it's not about not respecting what he's done um, in Europe because you can't deny what he did at PSV. He had two very good seasons at PSV, back-to-back 17-goal -back campaigns. But in four years at Napoli for being the highest transfer fee in their history at that time until Simon came in there at that time he had one good season of 11 goals in four years last year three goals three assists 
So why I empathize with what he's saying of how he's mm -hmm. opening doors for more Mexican players in Serie A, if you will. Okay. Who have those Mexican players been? A, a, a center backs? <laughs> Johan Vasquez? So I understand what he's trying to get at. Put some more respect. I think he's upset that in Mexico yeah. they don't respect them. Maybe as he thinks they should. I get that. But he's got a great opportunity now to do what he once did to get back where he was. Yeah. And that's the reality of things. His time at Napoli was not convincing. Chucky Lozano himself would tell you that. There are highlights, right? He, he did win a title. He did have a good season. He did some other things. He made some history. He opened some doors. But nobody, not even, not even those in the, in the innermost circles of Chucky Lozano's camp, can honestly say, we had a great time at Napoli and it was a success. And if people in Mexico or anywhere else are saying, well, it's a move backwards to PSV. I think at the end of the day, they're right. It's not to say that Chucky's a failure or that his time at Napoli was a failure. But did he live up to expectations with that big ticket? No. And, and he talks about the money. He knows, he knows that hurt him. But that's the reality. Wherever you go, the sticker price follows you. It is. It is. And I think, and I've spoken to a few Mexican players, and, and I think the mindset sometimes is, who are you to criticize me? Like, right. as a footballing nation, we've not mm -hmm. done anything. And here I am in a top league, in a top world, and I'm the first Mexican to win a Scudetto, et cetera, et cetera. So that mindset I understand. It definitely seems like he's in a place where he feels valued now, that he thinks he can do well, and hopefully that'll be the case because I still think Chucky Lozano is 28 years old. Mm -hmm. still has a little something. Speaking of, the team that Chucky joins has quite a bit of CONCACAF attacking talent, right? We got Ricardo Pepe, Malik Tillman, Chucky Lozano, all at PSV. Uh, not, not to mention Serginho Dest, although maybe he's more of an assist guy. So let's focus here on goals, shall we? Of these three, Pepe, Tillman, Lozano, who do you think scores more goals for PSV this season? Oh, I mean, come on, man. That's so unfair. Chucky Lozano's going to play, and he scored back-to-back 17-goal -back campaigns. Ricardo Pepe's behind the captain of the team and Luke Dijon. Like you told me Pepe was going to play. You told me he was going to start. Hold on. Hold on. He's behind the captain right now. And you want to put him in scoring more goals than Chucky Lozano? No, man. This is why I got to take Malik Tillman. Come on down. I don't know why. I do not know why. Listen, Chucky Lozano will most likely score the most goals. He's supposed to score the most goals. Like, if he scores 17 goals again, we shouldn't be surprised because he's torn the Eredivisie a new one multiple times. Mm. That should happen. But Malik Tillman, the skill set he possesses, I mean, he's got size, got pace, technical ability. He's got this keen sense for arriving late out of the midfield, scored in a very physical league in the Scottish Premier League, scored 12 goals, five assists, all competitions. And now in garbage time minutes, gets his first goal. He's a guy that I could see putting up some serious numbers at PSV who are going to totally demolish teams. And when he gets on, they're going to comfortable leads. Teams are going to be stretched, garbage time goals, et cetera, et cetera. I really think this man could put up some numbers. So I go as far as to say, like, it would not surprise me if he put up more numbers than Ricardo Pepe, who I just mentioned is behind the captain, probably won't play that much, and Chucky Lozano. Who knows what mm. the next goal round will look like for Chucky. Like, mm. it's just an interesting play for me with Malik Tillman. I think it's a massive upside, and he's only, what, 21 years of age? Yeah, I mean, you're saying Tillman's going to get goals. You, you don't think he's going to break into the starting 11, though, do you? Or do you think that's potentially on the radar for him as well? 
I think it'll be difficult. I think a lot of his goals will come as garbage time goals. Uh, on garbage time goals, I think it's going to be tough to be Chucky. If he can break into the 11, maybe we have a conversation here. Well, we've talked about Ricardo Pepe. We've talked about Luke de Jong. It seems like they're going with him and going with him a lot. So I, I am worried about Ricardo Pepe here. Here's what I'll say about Chucky Lozano. You talked about those first two years. He basically averaged a goal every other game for PSV in those first two years. And I know we did the highlight on Monday's show of Santiago Jimenez's second goal this weekend. Do you remember what happened? How bad the goalie was? Yeah, I do. That's goalies all over the air to this. So Chucky Lozano is going to get his goals. However hurt. Like there? If, <laughs> if you ask me however he wants to get him, just like that'll work as well. If you ask me who's gonna get more goals per minute played, that's a different equation. One, because I think Ricardo Pepe has shown that when he plays in this league, he is very, very effective. Malik Tillman has shown when he plays in any league, he can be very productive. Chucky Lozano, in recent years, has not been productive, and that's not just in Napoli, right? He mentioned his one great season, 11 goals. That was, that was three years ago now. The next year, five goals. The year after that, three goals in league play. So the numbers are going down, Herc. And if we talk about the Mexican national team, in the last two years, he has two competitive goals for L3. This is a guy who does not score. I think he'll score in the air to Herc, but I'm a little bit worried about the, the number he's going to put up. I'm not so sure it's going to be 17 or 20 again. In our production meeting, I have to say, you were actually more confident, I think, in Chucky than I was. Yeah, because he's going to play, and they made an investment in, it, in him. 15 million. They spent 15 million. That's, that's starter money for PSV. 10 million for Pepe is... Second forward money. Right. 15 million for a winger is that start well, winger money. And you have to in factor in Pepe, they're, they're buying upside, they're buying resale value. Right. And that's probably not the case with Chucky Lozano. I just think it's a league he knows, he feels comfortable in. We, we've already mentioned how the Eredivisie is an attacker's league. It's an attacker's league. I think Chucky Lozano, he needs this. I think he gets one, he gets two. The floodgates were open for him. I don't know if he hit 17 goals, but I think he'll be a productive goal scorer for PSV. Sure. And out of the names you gave me, he should be the one who scores the most goals. But Malik Tillman, it would not surprise me. I mean, he's literally got one full season in top flight football. Uh, so it would not surprise me if he put up double digits this year. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Okay, let's keep our focus on attacking Mexican players. But we'll go from the uh, veteran core to the potential young future. Marcelo Flores, who debuted with Mexico back in 2021. Gosh, was that long ago? 
Uh, he'd been on the books at Arsenal, joined the club when he was 16, has now completed a permanent move to Tigres. In Liga MX, Fabrizio Romano, the uh, first to confirm it, the 19-year-old spent last season on loan with Real Oviedo of Spain's second division. Herc, is it a good move or a bad move for Marcelo Flores? All right, let's break this down because mm -hmm. it's not as simple as yes and no, right? Uh, Marcelo Flores will be 20 in a matter of weeks, October 1st. Now, when we were talking about Marcelo Flores, we were talking about him potentially going to the World Cup. You were talking about him going to the World Cup. Maurice Pedrosa was talking about going to the mm -hmm. World Cup. You guys were all in on this guy. And when the possibility of him moving away from Arsenal arose, he went to the Spanish second division, Oviedo. Do you remember that? And yes, do you remember your boy saying, I thought it was a terrible idea? Mm -hmm. What happens if he doesn't succeed there? That won't happen. Here we are. Only played 15 games, eight starts, 683 minutes, zero goals, one assist. It may be unfair, but the moment you are a first-team player, regardless of your age, the moment you are a transfer, or the moment you come to play and put up numbers and you don't, you open yourself up for criticism. Now, I'm not expecting him to play in the Arsenal first team, okay? There are a few Mexicans who can, at a very young age, do that. Carlos Vela was one of them, okay? He didn't play, but he played enough and parlayed that into Real Sociedad and he ends up staying there. Joel Campbell played, you know, when he was, you know, a Costa Rican international, and he parlayed into that and something else. At some point, you have to realize what your level is and go down. Mm -hmm. I respect that. You've got to continue your career and you go down a level. Tigres is down a level from Arsenal. We all agree. But if your goal is to play, if your goal is to develop, you don't go to Tigres. You're not going to go play at Tigres, Marcelo Flores. You're not going to beat out the wingers they have. You're not going to beat out some of the Mexican players they have. Sebastián Córdoba, Osiel Herrera, Diego Lainez. It's the worst place for Marcelo Flores to develop. And you know that I'm a Tigre. But when mm -hmm. it comes to young Mexican talent, that is not the place for you. Bigger and better every single time. And if you don't produce, they'll buy the next. So if your goal was playing time and not the high salary that you will get at Tigres because we're hearing reports of him being one of the best paid players there. If your goal is playing time and development, wrong team. If what you came for was the money, you're at the right place. All right. Well, at this point in his career, he shouldn't be looking for the money, right? You should be looking for playing time. And if you're not going to play at Arsenal, I respect that. If you're not going to play at Oviedo, I got some questions, but I can respect that. But now you're going to come back to Tigres where you're also not going to play? If the choice is between sitting on the bench at Tigres or sitting on the bench in Europe, I'll take sitting on the bench at Europe anytime, especially from the Mexican national team player pool perspective. We just need more guys in Europe bottom line. So I look at this, it's a, it's a bad move for Marcelo Flores, Herc, and I know Tigres has money, but to spend money on a guy like Marcelo Flores, to spend money on a guy like Diego Lainez, you know, after the World Cup, we heard all the clubs come together and say, we're going to do what's, what's best for Mexican football. How is overvaluing somebody like Linus, overvaluing somebody like Marcelo Flores, to the point where you can now pay them more than what they might be offered at a club in Europe? So they can come and sit on your bench. How is that good for Mexican football? I know you're pro Tigres. I, I hate all clubs that do this, but especially now with Linus and Flores, I'm, I'm especially irritated with Tigres for this. How is Marcelo Flores worth big money? That's to who? the Federation's fault. 
To who? The federation should not be aligned with the clubs where the clubs have decision-making on the national team. All ownership groups have a decision in how the federation is run and how the national team is run. That should not never be the case. A conflict of interest. Why? Because it's, it's not in the best interest of the national team if you're bringing back players, but it is in the best interest of Tigres to build their team in the way they want. To build their team... In really? Having, what role does Marcelo Flores have for Tigres? Please future, tell me. The future. Oh. That's what they're doing with Pisuto, Lainez, Osiel Herrera, now Flores. They're building towards the future. they got to worry about their own team. So I respect Tigres for doing that, but it's a conflict of interest when you look at it on the national team level. But this is Mexican football. It's intertwined like that. It's the most ridiculous thing. All right, so let's move on from Marcelo Flores to another player that's somewhat similar, at least in profile, Efraín Álvarez. The 21-year-old Mexican-American, who also made his debut with El Tri in 2021, has sealed a move from the LA Galaxy to Cholos of Tijuana and Liga Mekis for a reported fee of $2.2 million. Herc, is this move a step forward or a step back for young Efraín Álvarez? Well, it's a step forward for the Galaxy. I mean, $2.2 million for a player whose contract was going to run out this season is a lot mm -hmm. of money. That's a good chunk of change, good piece of business for the LA Galaxy, and a good opportunity for Efrain Alvarez to have a change of scenery, try something new, because he had 10 games, 375 minutes, zero goals, zero assists. So he needed a change of scenery this season. He wasn't going to play there. Much like Marcelo Flores, that change of scenery could not have gone worse. Cholos, Cholos de Tijuana have had six coaches in the last three years. Six coaches in the last three years, Seb. And if we want to go back further, from the last time Miguel Herrera was there, this is his second stint, okay? They, he's been the 10th coach from the last time. That's six years ago. So lots of turnover. There's no guaranteed playing time for him in what would be a much different circumstance, playing on turf with a team with constant turnover, whether it be coaches or players. I worry about Efrain Alvarez and his decision-making when it comes to his future here. Now, it seems to me like Cholos are buying a player they think they can sell in the future, because $2.2 million isn't that much for them. It's a nice chunk of change for the Galaxy for a player that they weren't going to have much use for. Where do they think they're going to sell him to, Herc? Chivas. It's exactly where they think they're going to sell him to. It's exactly what they want to do, exactly where they want to sell him. Is he good enough for Chivas? not good enough for the Galaxy right now. now and Chivas, the way they play with Panovic, I mean, that's a high-intensity, very dynamic team. He's not of that cloth. He's uh, much more of a thinker in the final third, combination play, set-piece specialist, left foot, great left foot, vision, that type of game. I don't think it suits him. But I just don't understand this move. Yeah. I, I yeah. really don't. I don't, I don't think you can call it a step forward. There might be a slightly better chance at playing time, maybe. But I don't think you can call going to Cholos uh, a step up from the LA Galaxy. I think the LA Galaxy, had he had a nice run there, a good, a good role as an academy player that stepped into a starter. Like, that could have been something really special for him, the league, the Mexican national team, then being sold on to Europe. I think much more likely that a player, I know you say Chivas, but would be sold on to Europe, we've seen from Major League Soccer than for Liga Mekki. So I don't think from a shop window this gets him any closer to anything of importance. I, be, I guess between Efrain Alvarez and Marcelo Flores, I don't see either of them really with much future with the national team. I, would you bet on either of these guys to, to play in a World Cup for Mexico? I, I don't see either of them coming particularly close.
not Especially their, with the way they're trending right now. Yeah, not in their positions, the players that Jimmy Lozano has in front of them. Especially Jimmy Lozano just in general, his style yeah. of play. They're kind of tweener, attacking players, don't really have a position, small guys. I mean, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't see it at the, at the senior international level. Maybe something will change. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. All right, uh, let's talk Ballon d'Or, shall we? Everybody's favorite. Of course, uh, Lionel Messi on the uh, men's side of Inter-Miami getting named. That's always exciting to have an MLS player. But let's focus on the women, shall we? We've got 30 nominees. Incredible that they call it a short list. Sam Kerr of Australia, Aitana Bonmati of Spain among the nominees. Linda Caicedo, the sensation from Colombia in there, as is Sophia Smith. It is her first nomination for the award, and she's the only U.S. player to make the final 30-player list for Ballon d'Or. Is it something, nothing, or everything for the U.S. program that only Sophia Smith was named as a nominee? It's everything. And what I'm going to say, a lot of the guardians of the sport probably won't like. Um, not just for U.S. soccer as a program, but the domestic league she plays in. Mm. Now, collectively as a team, collectively as a league, individually as players, technically, tactically, that ability, um, maybe both the American product and the American league, in this case domestically, NWSL, aren't as good as we thought. Now, this has been going on for quite some time. We did an ESPN, I always bring this up, a DSPN top 50 players of, around the world in the women's game, and you were very distraught that there was only one American player in the top 10. Did you know last World Cup final, this World Cup final that we just witnessed between Spain um, mm -hmm. and England, there was only, well, there wasn't. There were no NWSL players mm. in that final. Actually, there were only three in the semifinal set. When you look... At the trend, Ballon d'Or, last time there were Americans in the Ballon d'Or top three was 2019. There were two, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan. When you look at that, where fewer and fewer Americans are popping up in the top positions in the world, and now your national team has bounced in humiliating fashion for the first time in their program's history, and now there are questions about your domestic game, and now you see here that yeah. in a short list of 30... A short list of 30, there is only one American. It should make you worry. So it is everything. Yeah, it's everything, right? It, it points to the fact that the U.S. no longer has elite players. Now, to some extent, each of these lists you have to question, right? Not, sure. not each of these lists is definitive that these are the 30 best players in the world. And I think there's some Americans that had they been healthy or if they were healthy might be close. Somebody like uh, Sam Mewis. Well, Katarina Macario for sure yeah. on talent. Mallory Pugh, based on what she was doing in the year and a half before this list would have come out, and even longer before that, if you remember the first ESPN FC Top 50 Players list, the number one player was Sam Mewis back in 2019, uh, excuse me, 2021. She basically hasn't played since, so 
The U.S. has more talent than just one of the best 30 players in the world. But I actually think, Herc, you hit it on the head when you talked about the NWSL. This is much more worrisome for the NWSL than I think it is for the U.S. women's national team, although the tie-in there is that most of the U.S. women's national team plays in the NWSL. Sophia Smith, an NWSL player in this top 30 list. I believe the only other one was Debinha yep. um, of Brazil. So there's two of the top 30 players in the world playing in the National Women's Soccer League. That's not the marketing. That's not the branding. That's not what we think of when we think of the NWSL. We think of one of the best in the world. I think that's starting to change. And so you, you add that together and what this means about the NWSL, what it means for the future of the U.S. women's national team, it is certainly an area of concern. I don't think Sophia Smith will win this award. Obviously, in a World Cup year, they're going to go World Cup heavy. Yeah, I uh, And that's the other thing. The U.S. had a terrible World Cup. Had they had a better World Cup, it's a big if, but had they had a better World Cup, obviously there'd be, I think, plenty more American players here in the Ballon d'Or nominees. Speaking of the National Women's Soccer League, time for our parting shot on this episode of Football Americas presented by Expedia. The NWSL Challenge Cup semifinals were Wednesday night. North Carolina Courage against the Kansas City Current, two teams that know each other very well. North Carolina ends up winning it by a final score of 1-0 there in the uh, first of the two semifinals. So they'll advance to the final to be played Saturday at Wake Med Soccer Park there in Cary, North Carolina. The other semifinal between Racing Louisville and O.L. Reign. And unfortunately for O.L. Reign, oh, no. that's another semifinal defeat. Uh, Racing Louisville gets the one nothing victory. So it'll be Racing Louisville against the North Carolina Courage for the NWSL Challenge Cup title Saturday at noon. It's an early kickoff. Not everybody is super happy about that. Uh, that game will be played in Cary, North Carolina. Herc, who you got? Who do you think is going to win? North Carolina Courage or Racing Louisville? Uh, you said the game's in North Carolina? I will take yep. the home team. I will Look take the Courage. Look at that. Going out on a limb. He says, yeah, North Carolina <laughs> Courage. I guess that leaves me no chance but to pick Racing Louisville here in the NWSL Challenge Cup Final. Enjoy that game on Saturday. Plenty of great soccer coming up this weekend. Hope you enjoy it all. He's Herc. I'm Seb. We will be back on Monday for the next edition of Football Americas. Herc wearing that beauty out of El Paso. Mwah. You got one. It didn't come extra small, though, but you got okay. one. Can we give a shout to my Winchester Impact gear? Look at that. Oh, is that where they the turned the very, dogs? very, very semi-pro uh, indoor team that I played in back in the day. Look at that. Deodora, also, anytime you want to send Deodora me. Deodora does have some dope stuff. I used to wear Deodoras. <laughs>